Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. Because when mankind was created, we were created in the image of God. The Bible tells us that in the book of, of Genesis, that God created man in his own image. And the reason we were created was to have fellowship with the Father. And the fellowship was great because when God created Adam and Eve, he put them in a garden called Eden, and he, he told them to till the garden, to enjoy the fruit of it and everything else, told them they would, they would, they would live forever, you know, unless they did one thing, and that was to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was in the center of the garden. And so when Adam and Eve ate of the garden, ate of the, of, the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, something terrible happened. A sentence of death was placed upon mankind, upon them and all those who would come after them. It was a horrible thing because it meant death isn't so much that we just die and we're put into the ground. I mean, we read the obituaries every day and so-and-so died and so-and-so died. What that means is the breath left their body and, the, and, 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 and their body is without breath so therefore it has no movement no life in it but in our spirit something happened that was just dreadful fellowship with God was broken so death isn't so much that that our bodies die but that fellowship with God is broken because you know the God is our father and 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 the word father pater p-a-t-e-r which we get from which we get the word paternal it means origin or beginning Everything begins at God. And so when fellowship is broken from God, then life ceased to exist. So the spiritual union between God and man was broken when Adam and Eve sinned. And, and the Bible tells us in Ezekiel chapter 18, 20, that the soul that sinneth shall surely die. The soul that sins shall die. And I don't know of anyone who hasn't sinned. Do you know of anybody that's alive today who hasn't sinned? Anybody know anybody? You know, we have the Ten Commandments, and I don't know anybody that has gotten by without breaking at least one of them. Uh, thou shalt not steal, kill, whatever, you know, and commit adultery and, and commit murder and, and lie and, and all of these things, all ten of the commandments. Somewhere along the line, we've broken one, and Jesus even raised the bar a little bit higher, and he said that if, if you are angry at your brother and you have murderous thoughts in your heart, in your heart you've already committed the act. So that raises the bar a, a little bit higher and puts us even in worse position. And he said that if, if, we, if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he's already committed adultery with her in his, in his own heart. So that really, really puts us in a bad situation. And you would say, well, wow, man, we're just undone. Yes, we are. I agree with you, we are. But, but the story doesn't stop there. And I'm so thankful for that because, you know, Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means you and me and everybody else. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin, the wages of sin is death, which is eternal separation from God. And we all, we all know that, or, or we should if we've been in Sunday school at all and we know anything about that. But So what happened was Adam sold himself and all of man's, mankind into slavery to sin and the devil. 
When, when Adam sinned, not only did he lose fellowship with God, but he became communicable with the devil. He, he came under dominion because he had sold dominion that God had given to him to the enemy. He literally sold out. He rebelled against God and sold out so that all of mankind was trapped into slavery to sin. But, you know, if you go through the book of Leviticus, you go through the books of Ex- Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers, you see that, that, they were, uh, that, that they were slaves. They were people that were slaves. And if a slave was sold, he could be bought back. And the process by which he was bought back was called redemption. He could be redeemed. I mean, if somebody had sold a slave and decided, well, I'd like to have my slave back, they could go buy that, person, that slave back. And, and they were redeemed. And there was always a price for that. Sometimes the price was high. Sometimes if, if the slave was a disobedient slave, it was hard to deal with, he could, he could probably get them at a pretty good price. But the price that was upon us because of our sin was a very, very high price indeed. The price was death. Because the Bible tells us that, that it is um, required of man that, that we would, each one of us are going to die. And after this is a judgment. So that kind of leaves us in a bad place. All of us. Because we're all going to face judgment. Well, that's bad news, isn't it? But I want to give you some good news. I don't want to leave you hanging. Because the fact of the matter is that Jesus knew this. And I like what it says in Romans 3.23, or, or, or John 3.16 and 17. I'm sorry, Romans, uh, John 3.16-17. I don't have it on the thing there, but I'm just kind of... But this is... Y'all know what it says, right? What does it say in verse 16? Everybody knows that one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Now, what does verse 17 say? For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, uh, if, if, if we're being saved, we're being saved from something, right? What are we being saved from? We're being saved from death. We're being saved from, from the hand of the enemy, from a horrible taskmaster. How many know that the devil is a hard taskmaster? The wages of sin is death. Always comes down to that. Always comes down to separation. You know, if we, if we follow the enemy far enough, we're always separated from everything that we love. Our families, our friends, and everything else. So what is sin, by the way? Anybody know what sin is? It's not some horrible act that we, we commit. Sin is simply hamartia. It means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. Well, you know, how, how could I describe that? So if, if I put a target up here. You know, and, and, and I said, you, you've got to hit this target in order to be right with God. And I put you at the back door back there. And, and, and I hand you a dart. So you've got to hit this if you're going to be right. And, and we, we throw the dart. And we miss. What mankind has done is, is we've tried to move the target. You know. And, and we've tried to justify ourselves. And, 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 and so, therefore, we, we try to do away with the concept of sin and, and to say that, that, uh, that men are basically good, which is a falsity in itself because man is not basically good. Man is inherently full of sin. We sin not because, or we're sinners not because we sin, but we, 
we sin because we're sinners. It's, it's, it's in our blood because of what Adam and Eve did. We were sold into sin and slavery. In ourselves, we can't get rid of it. It's, it's like having a disease that you can't get rid of. You can't cut it out. You, you, you can't, you can't uh, will it out. You can't wash it out. No matter what you do, no matter how good you try to be and everything else, you can't get rid of it on your own. There has to be something strong enough, something powerful enough to remove the consequences of our sin and to change our nature. Man by nature is sinful. Um, I, I kind of touched on that last week. You know, we, uh, there are certain propensities of man that we have, and we all have that, that DNA inside of us without Jesus. We're just, any of us are capable of anything. You know what I'm saying? We're capable of murder. We're capable of sexual sin. We're capable of thievery. We're capable of everything apart from Jesus. But what Jesus did for us is that because we had missed the mark and because of that, we were destined to experience death, which is separation from God, God had to do something. And, and you know, Paul kind of, Describe the dilemma of mankind this way in Romans chapter 7, verses 9 through 25. And he says, I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive. And what is sin? Again, is sin is to miss the mark. Sin came alive because, you know, if we didn't have the commandments, then we wouldn't be aware of our sin. We wouldn't know right from wrong, would we? And that's, that's not a good way to be either because... Mankind had that position at one time, had no laws, had nothing established, so man did what was right in his own eyes, and it's kind of like what we're kind of getting back to now when we say that, you know, we don't need the law of God, we don't need any restrictions, we don't need any laws, but the law is not a terror to those who do good, but to those who do evil. So we do need laws. But the law became so restricted to man that we, we could not keep it because the law was so perfect and we're so imperfect. We can't keep it, not within ourselves. So therefore, we can't live a good enough life to be justified in the eyes of God. We would have to be perfect. So again, that puts us in a bad situation. How can we be perfect enough to stand before a righteous and a holy God? Um, I I believe it was Titus uh, texting me the other day. He's been reading Revelation. He was asking me about... The, the four elders or the four beasts around the throne of God and, and, and their, their job description is to 24-7 all the time, they circle around the throne of God and they're saying this one thing. Holy, 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 holy. They are describing the one attribute of God which is which cannot be changed which cannot be altered is the holiness of God in that he is he is altogether holy and in order to come before a holy God we have to be holy and there's only one way that we can be holy we have to be made holy in the eyes of God we can't do it in ourselves because of our own nature. We are, we're in a bad state. So Paul says that, that the law, he said, because of the law, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was, the re, which was to result in life, proved to result in death or separation from God for me. 
For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. How many would agree with that? The law of God is good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin. What is sin again? It's the inability to keep to, to hit the mark of righteousness or perfection. We can't do it in ourselves. In order that it might be shown to me to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh. So what is spiritual? The, the Greek word for it is pneumatikos. Now, we can't be spiritual apart from the Spirit of God. So we can try to be spiritual. And, you know, I've heard, heard people say, well, I'm a spiritual person. No, you're a spiritually dead person unless you were born again by the Spirit of God because your spirit is still dead. You are a what the Bible calls a sarkikos, which is a natural man. And, and, and the word sarks is flesh. And, and the word, the rest of the word comes from what uh, Italian people would call caca. <laughs> really, it, it, that's exactly what it means. Dr. Cottle says we're just an old sorry sack of sarks apart from Jesus. We are a fleshly human being. In other words, we are ruled by the fleshly nature. We want, on one hand, we want to do that which is good. And Paul described it that way. He says, you know, within me, there is a law at work where I want to do that which is good. But I end up doing that which I don't want to do. You know? It's, it's a bad place to be. And, and some of you may have tried it. I, I remember trying it as, as, a, as a teenage boy. I, I tried so hard, you know, I would be good one week and bad the next. When I was good, I could be very good, then I could be very bad. But I couldn't do it. I could not within myself meet the righteous demands of God. I knew there was something missing. No matter how good I tried to be, no matter how hard I tried to be, I kept missing the mark. And Paul said, he said, then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous good. Therefore, well, I'm, I'm already down here in verse 15. Uh, for in verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. <laughs> so now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells in me, or in other words, is alive inside of me. Sin. Because sin rules without Jesus. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells inside of me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do. But I practice the very evil. There's that word, kakas. I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am the one 
doing the very thing I do not wish. I am no no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes or prefers to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the laws of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. And then Paul says, wretched man that I am. Boy, it does put you in a bad place, doesn't it? That makes a wretched human being out of you when you try so hard and you, and you keep failing, you keep missing the mark. It just, it just puts you in a bad place. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Who will deliver me from the law of sin and death? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord then. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh the law of sin. And I like what verse 8 says. And I, I, I just kind of, this is a continuation. You know, it's, it's the, uh, the organizers of Scripture, the graphe, who, who separated them out in verses and chapters and all those kind of things. But when Paul wrote this letter, it was one continuum. It was just paragraph after paragraph. It didn't have those breakups of, of verses and stuff. So if you read it in continuation, it says, So on the one hand, I, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with the flesh, the law of sin. There is therefore now, in other words, having said all that, there is therefore now no condemnation. In other words, an adverse sentence or a verdict against those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, the life of God, the Zoe of God in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And, and, and you know what that is. That's missing the mark of God's demands concerning righteousness resulting in the separation from God. For what the law could not do as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the things of the flesh, but those who were according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. You see, Adam's rebellion and his transgression resulted in all of mankind being sold in slavery to sin. But what Jesus did, his sacrifice and obedience resulted in all of mankind being redeemed or brought back or repurchased from sin and its dominion over us. 1 John 3, 8 says, For this reason the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, we're waiting on Jesus to come back and destroy everything that the devil has done, but he's already done it. What are we waiting for? See, we have power over the enemy because we're no longer under bondage to sin because Jesus, through his infinite mercy, the mercy and the grace of God, paid for our redemption. He bought us back from the curse of the law of sin and death. There was a curse that was placed upon us. If you go back into the book of Deuteronomy, read Deuteronomy 28, you will see that there are twice as many curses listed there as there are blessings that come upon us as a result of disobedience. And I think those curses are upon all of us without Jesus. But what Jesus has done is he's come and paid the price. He has paid the penalty because the penalty was death. Jesus died in our place. He died on the cross in my place and in your place. And he paid the price. He bought us back so that sin no longer has dominion over us. 
Sin only has dominion over us if we choose to serve it. We have a choice. We don't have to be servants to sin anymore. Paul says that that we're slaves to sin only if we're obedient to sin. We don't have to. The price has been paid. It's been paid in full. There's nothing left that you and I have to pay for. You know, one thing that really bothers me is to see people that continually try to pay for their sin. It's like we've got to go through life trying to do penance for something that happened way back there that's on the other side of the cross. But when we come to Jesus, we have to understand that when we accept what he has done, when we accept his sacrifice for our sins, that is paid for. It is finished. It's over. We don't have to pay anymore. All he requires us to do is just fall in love with him. Hey, I'm willing to do that. I mean, somebody to do that for me, I have no problem with that. Somebody that loved me enough and showed me enough mercy and grace, as he did, I have no problem falling in love with him. Obedience becomes not a problem to me. It becomes a problem when I don't obey. That's the real problem. Because I feel like a, a failure if I don't. But the thing of it is, he still loves me. He understands my imperfections. And he paid for that too. He paid for all of our sins. The sins of the past, the sins of the present, the sins of the future. We don't have to pay for them anymore. Albeit, listen folks, if we we get out into sin, we pay the penalty of it in our flesh. Be not mocked, for God's not deceived, or, or be not deceived, for God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If he sows into the flesh, he shall reap corruption. But if he sows into the spirit, he shall reap into life eternal. I want to sow into the spirit because I want to reap the good things. I want to reap the eternal benefits that God has for me. But as far as paying for my sins, Jesus has already done it. I don't have to pay anymore. The payment is paid in full. I like that. I... Um, I've had the opportunity on a couple of occasions to pay off a car. You know, I, I kept the Jeep for 10 years. And somebody asked me, how do you like that old Jeep? I love it. It's got a rattle in it. But it don't bother me. What kind of rattle is it? Well, it's a title rattling around in the dashboard. You know, I like it. Because that title says paid in full. It was made out to me. You know, it, it, it was my old Jeep. I don't have that problem anymore. I, I've got another car. One day I'll have that same problem again. I'm looking forward to it. But I love that paid in full, you know. And, and, and Jesus has done the same for us. He has, through his own blood, has paid for our sins in full. And we have a title deed. You know what we have a title deed to? Everything that he has. We are joint heirs with Jesus. And when we are joint heirs, that means that I have just as much right to all the things that Jesus has as he does. Because I'm a joint heir with him. Amen? You know, it's kind of cool. We, we, uh, you know, when we're buying this property over off of, uh, off of Ridge Avenue, and it's actually owned by joint heirs. They're, they're two cousins that own it. I had a whale of a time finding those guys, but thank God we finally did. And they were just more than happy to deal with us as a church because, you know, they, they, they kind of, they, I don't think they've even ever seen it before. But they discovered that they have something that they're joint heirs of. 
They didn't even know until I chased them down. They're like, oh, actually, we, we own this? And, and you know, there, there are people in the kingdom of God that same way. We got all this stuff, and we don't even know we've got it. And, and we live like paupers when we're children of a king, and God has given us everything. You know, the Bible says that, that, that he became poor, that we might become rich in him. <laughs> I mean, he emptied himself, stepped down from the throne in glory, and came down and lived as a baby in a manger and grew up as a man. And he experienced all of the pain and the suffering in the human flesh that you and I do because the Bible tells us clearly in Hebrews chapter 4 that we have not a high priest who's touching out with the feeling of our infirmities, but we have one who's been tempted in every way that you and I, yet without sin. So he's experienced all the temptation, all the pain, all the agony, all, the, all of the, the uh, betrayal, I mean, you name it, Jesus has experienced it, yet without sin. You know, he, he was so amazing. It's amazing to me to think that, that Jesus, you know, we, we look at him and we think that he, you know, he walked around with this halo around his head holding a little lamb. And all these children walked around behind him. And you had a bunch of Pharisees and all sneering at him and everything, and everybody loved him because... He had a halo and he carried sheep in a white robe. That's kind of the pictures we draw of him and stuff. But I, 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 I picture Jesus in a very different way because the Bible says there was no comeliness in him that we should desire him. I don't know how, you know, what his physical attributes were. Apparently, you know, he, he might not have been that good looking. He might not have been, you know, we draw him with blue eyes and curly hair and a nice beard and all that stuff. I don't know what he looked like. I just know that he was in he was a human like you and I are. And he lived just like you and I do. Yet he and he experienced all the things that you and I experienced and he experienced temptations. And his temptations sometimes I, well I, I know because the scripture clearly spells it out if you go to Luke chapter 4 the temptations that Jesus experienced probably were far above anything that you and I will ever have to face. Yet without sin, he didn't sin. Now, all that aside, what I'm trying to say to you is that because Jesus was perfect and you and I are imperfect, he satisfied the righteous requirements of God. He satisfied it. When he went to the cross, he had never sinned, whereas you and I are full of sin. But the righteous was sacrificed in the place of the unrighteous to pay the penalty that you and I owe. It's just like if you and I had committed murder, we're taken into court, and the judge stands before us, and he declares us guilty, and we are guilty as charged. There's no way out of it. And then the verdict is read, and it said the punishment for your crime is death. But then the lawyer that represented us steps forward and says, Your Honor, Dad, um, can I confer with you for just a moment? Now, Dad, I know he's guilty. He's guilty. But I will pay his penalty. I'll pay his penalty. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. He stepped up to the judge, the righteous judge, and he says, I'll pay the penalty. 
I'll pay the penalty. And so he was taken to a cross and he was nailed on a cross because the cross is an instrument of death. That's all that's good for. It was a shameful death because when someone was hanged on a cross, they were the most vile, they were the most horrible criminals were the ones who were publicly displayed by being impaled on a tree. They were the most horrific criminals, guilty of death. And so when Jesus died on that cross, he died as a horrible sinner. What does it say about us? You know, I should be in utter darkness now. I should be a beggar out on the road, but you made me worthy. That's what Jesus did. He paid it all. He paid the full full penalty of our sin. He gave everything, everything. He gave his very all. He laid down his life, paid the penalty for our sin so that you could go free. Now, since he's paid the penalty and he's paid it in full, is there anything that you've been that the enemy has been accusing you of? Because if he's been accusing you, he's been falsely accusing you. Because the penalty's been paid. You're no longer guilty. If you are guilty, then you could you just agree with God that you are, then Jesus takes the penalty for that. I mean, it's like he takes the penalty for the sins of our past, the sins of our present, and the, the sins of our future. So that when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father according to 1 John chapter 2. What is an advocate? An advocate is a go-between. You know, it's like we have patient advocates. Have you ever been to the hospital and, and the person comes around with a clipboard and they say, I'm your patient advocate. I'm here to represent the interests of the patient to the hospital. You know, and, and your interest in these kind of things. Well, that's what Jesus does for us. He's our advocate before the Father. He's our go-between. And, and, he, and, and so whenever we sin, he takes the penalty of it. Bang. But you know what happens when we continue in sin? What we do is we crucify him all over again and we hang him out to an open shame. Wow. That's what it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. We crucify him all over again sometimes with our actions. And the worst action that we can have is unbelief. The worst action we can have is to continue to try to pay for our sin when it's already been paid for. Let it go. Let the past be in the past. Amen? I'm thankful. I'm thankful. You know, people have, have, have tried to tie me to my past before, and I just flat out tell them, hey, that man's dead. He's dead. That penalty's been paid for. It's, it's over. You can't tie me to that. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I'm a new, I'm a new being. And, and, and I thank God that he paid for that. So I want to live that way. I don't want to go back to sin. If he has set me free from it, why do I don't want to go back to that? Because he's delivered me. Listen, if the enemy comes, you know, I, I've told you before that Satan, the name Satan means accuser. That's the meaning of it. And, and he deserves that name. It's, it's a proper name for him because he's constantly accusing us before the Father. He's constantly trying to tell on us and trying to dig up stuff. And he'll go back to our past and try to dig our past up and present it to the Father. And you know what? If we let him, 
then we become riddled with guilt. We become burdened down with it. But what we've got to do is say, all right. Now, uh, you know, Martin Luther said that he had a dream one night. And in his dream, he was standing before the God, before the Father being judged. And as he was standing before the Father, Satan was on one, you know, one hand, and Satan was standing there, and he was accusing him before God. And he was saying all these things about him, and everything that he said was true. Everything. And Martin Luther said he just stood there in his dream, and he listened to Satan accuse him, you know, for it seemed like hours, just over and over accusing him of stuff. And finally, Satan just kind of ran out of words, and he says, okay, Satan, are you through? And he says, yes. He said, well, you forgot one thing. He said, what's that? He said, 1 John 1, 7. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us of all sin. The blood is sufficient. The blood paid for all of our sin. Paid it in full. We don't have to pay for it anymore, so stop trying. That's the message for you today. Stop trying to pay for your sin. When Jesus hung on the cross, and in his dying breath, when he said, it is finished, he meant, it's done, it's over. It's finished, sin is dealt with, it's finished. Satan is finished. His power, his dominion is over. It's finished. It's done. His domain no longer is valid in the kingdom of God. The only way that the enemy can continue to rule and reign over us is if we give him that authority. Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said that Satan has come and he's desired to have me, but he has nothing in me. What did he mean by that? He meant that Satan has no authority in me. And when Jesus went before Pilate, remember Pilate says, don't you know that I have the authority to let you go if I want to? And Jesus said, you didn't even have the authority to arrest me. I could have called legions of angels and they would have come. But I'm here to do the will of my father who sent me. Of course, Pilate didn't understand all of that. Well, what was the will of the Father? The will of the Father was that Jesus would go to the cross and he would die to pay the penalty. And he did. So the penalty is paid. All right, I want you, just in your own mind, I want you to think. The title deed of my life. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians... Chapter 6, verse 20. For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, glorify God in your body, which is the Lord's. So, knowing that God has paid a price for us and has bought us with his own blood, it gives him a right to rule and reign in our lives, doesn't it? It gives him the right because... Not that he wants to, to 
lord it over us because Jesus said that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to, to serve mankind, to become a ransom for all. He came to serve, and he did. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who considered it not robbery to be equal with God, but he humbled himself and, be, and became a, and, and he humbled himself to, to death, even to the death on a cross. Therefore, God hath highly exalted him above that of his brethren. And has given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth, and everything above and everything beneath, to the name of Jesus. He's deserved that right. He's earned that right, and he's paid for it with his own blood. But he purchased us, and he brought us back, and he gave us a standing with God. Now, I, I like what it says that in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he made Jesus, he made him Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us that we, we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Ephesians 1, 7 says, in him we have redemption, which is the full purchase price through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Titus 2, verses 4 through 6 says this, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, that being justified, and I put it up here for you, justified means this. What does it mean? Justified never sinned. He justified us. Through his own blood, through his mercy, He poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I want you to let that one word sink into your spirit for just a minute. Heirs. Heirs. According to the hope of eternal life. You see, we didn't deserve the payment that God made for our redemption. It was costly. But the payment for our transgression was made in full. Death was a sentence, but Jesus paid for our sins on the cross, and the payment has been made, paid in full. So, like I said, I love it when, when I can pay off a loan or something. I look forward to the day that I can get the title deed to my house. That would be nice. God owns it anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But I want you to understand that there are no liens on you. The devil doesn't have a right. Put a lien on you. You say, well, I'm righteous in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes when we try to say that, that I am righteous through the blood of Jesus, what does the devil want us to say? I'm not worthy. I'm just a lowly little worm. I'm not worthy. And he wants us to, he he takes us from the state of feeling not worthy to feeling worthless. And he wants you to make you feel that way. I'm just a worthless person. I really don't have much to give to God. I just, you know, I'm just, I'm just thankful that, you know, if God will just save me by his grace and put me in a little cabin in the corner of glory, I'll be happy. Hogwash. That's not what Jesus died for. The price he paid is worth so much more than that. I'm thankful that the Bible tells me in John 14 and 1, it says, it says let not your heart be troubled. For in my house are many mansions, one of them's mine. One of them's mine and one of them's yours. Jesus said that he's going to prepare a place for us. 
And Jesus doesn't do shoddy work. He don't build cabins in the corner of glory. There's mansions and streets of gold. They're joys forevermore that he's prepared for us. It was an expensive, expensive price that was paid for all that. The blood of God's own son is what paid for it. So I don't think God wants to, to settle for anything less. I, I like the song that says, you know, I, I've shared it with you before, but the, the song, Praise the Lord, the second verse of it says that, that um, when you're up against the struggle, no, what is, Satan is a liar and he wants to make us think that we are paupers when he knows himself that we are children of the king. Yeah. And, and that's what the devil wants us to think, that we're paupers. He wants us to live that way, thinking that we're pleasing God that way. No, we're not. We're pleasing ourselves, and really it's a result of doubt and unbelief because when we please the Lord, the Bible says in, in Proverbs 16, 7, says when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. God wants to bless us, many. And he just says, the, the blessings of the Lord make the rich, and he has no sorrow to it. I mean, it's unscriptural to think that God wants us to be a poor, mealy, little human being just barely getting by from the price that Jesus has paid for us, which caused him, caused God everything so that you and I, he said he became poor that we might become rich. And we're rich in him in all things. He provides for us. He takes care of us. He loves us. So. We have no liens on us. I got one more little passage of scripture I want us to look at. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Say that with me. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. What does that mean? He bought us back. He paid the penalty for the curse of the law. Why did he do it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Since Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What is the promise of the Spirit? It's the promise of life. More abundant life. Jesus said in John chapter 10, The thief cometh not, but for to kill, to steal, and destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it more abundant. How does life come? The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He came to give us the Holy Spirit, which is life-giving. Without the Spirit, we're dead. Without life, we're dead. Without breath, we are dead. But he came to give us the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus reversed the curse. He paid the full price of redemption so that you and I could walk in the blessings of Abraham. We are heirs of the promise of divine inheritance and blessing from God that were promised to Abraham through Isaac. We have a divine inheritance. Galatians 4, 4 through 6 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, not as slaves but as sons. And because you are sons, and sons, sons there is a generic term, it doesn't mean male or female, but it means basis of relationship that we have with the Father. We are sons. We are inheritance of the Father. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Aren't you glad you're an heir? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm excited about that. And it's paid for. Everything that God has promised us is paid for. Jesus paid for it. It's ours. It's ours. If, if, if somebody called you today, sent you a certified letter and said, you have a $5,000 gift card from Walmart, even as much as you hate going to Walmart. They sent you a certified check to take to Walmart, and you can go in and get $5,000 worth of merchandise. How many of you just look at that and say, oh, that's all right. Don't really need it right now. I'm not worthy. Here, you can have it back. Yeah, what will we do? No, I'd be at Walmart in about 10 minutes. I'd be grabbing me six or eight buggies and getting some friends to help me. I would take my inheritance. I would take what was mine. So when are we going to take what is ours? When are we going to understand that it is paid in full? That sin no longer has dominion over you, that you don't have to be a servant to it. You know, I, 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 I just cringe when someone tells me that I can't. You know, I want to serve the Lord, but I just can't. Why? Well, I'll tell you why you can't, because you don't love him enough. If you love him enough, you will. There won't be any problem serving Jesus. It's all about relationship with him, understanding what he has done for us. No longer a slave, but a son, an heir through God. Join heirs. Hallelujah. It just amazes me what God does when we trust Him. He never ceases to amaze me. Just trust Him. Does that mean we won't ever have struggles or problems or anything else? No, the Bible says that many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord has delivered us out of them all. You know, it doesn't say the Lord will deliver us out of them all. It says the Lord has delivered us out of them all. Past tense. He's already done it. And we understand it on the basis of faith, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That when we walk by faith and not by sight, we're walking by what we know in our spirit and not by what we see or feel or taste or touch or hear. Strictly based upon our relationship with God. Understanding that everything that we need is paid for. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. For sufficient for today are the cares thereof. You know, your father loves you and he will take care of you. If you just trust him. Jesus, take the wheel, whatever. <laughs> just trust the Lord. Everything we need. Paid in full. Paid in full. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but his blood washed it all away. No more sin. No more penalty for the sin. I don't know about you, but that just really does something for me. You see, where there's no sin, there is 
no lawful bondage. Because sin is what brings us into bondage. But since Jesus has dealt with the sin, and if we, the Bible says that if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, I confess. To confess means to agree with God. I confess that in my nature, in my human flesh, there is a propensity for sin. I agree with that, don't you? How many would say that's true? Because if it weren't true, we couldn't be tempted. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So having confessed that and understood that, that we're cleansed of it, all unrighteousness, what does that make us? Righteous. Sons. How many would say to your son or your daughter, you're just not worthy? You're just not worthy. I'd never say that to my son or daughter, would you? No. No, no, no. Why? Because I'm their daddy. I'm their Abba. I'm their Abba. I'm their daddy. And that's the same with our father. He sent his spirit into our hearts whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We have that relationship with him. He's our daddy. Would you stand with me today? Would you just say, it's paid in full. My sins are gone. They're paid in full. I'd like for our, our worship team to come back up and just lead us in that song one more time. Jesus paid it all. You've been listening to Destiny City a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.